Hello and welcome to the podcast, What I Wish I Knew as an NQT, with me, Jeremy Crook. This is a show where my guests and I will share with you our experiences, both good and bad, of life as an NQT. I'll be talking to those new to teaching as well as those who have spent a lifetime educating children. And one thing you can be sure of, they will all have something interesting and informative to say on the art of being a great teacher. Plus, they will reveal the one thing they wish they knew as an NQT that made a real difference to their teaching and might make a real difference for you too. Today, I am particularly pleased to be talking to James Troughton. James was the teacher who gave me my company strapline after attending a course I ran. On his feedback, he wrote, Jeremy, thank you. It's been another inspiring day and I've loved him ever since. He has a wide range of experiences, both in and out of education, not only in the UK, but also abroad. And though he qualified quite recently in 2014, his extensive skills have enabled him to successfully take on the role of assistant head teacher in an outstanding primary school. As well as being an assistant head, he is also English and assessment lead. Plus, he still finds the time to author short stories, and he's had these published alongside award-winning authors who he will say are far better than him. But that's because for all his many talents, he is a modest man who lets his many achievements speak for him. James, welcome. Thank you for fitting me into your busy schedule. Well, thanks for having me, Jeremy. And uh, I must say, I had no idea that's where the strapline came from. Um, so I was very, very happy to see that and hear that. That's fantastic. Um, I had that impact for you as well. Um, so really, really good to hear. Yeah, that's the power of teaching, isn't it? You have impact and, and teachers have impact on teachers, which really is the point of, of this podcast, of course. Uh, hmm. So let's start. Before you became a teacher, um, what you did once you left university, because it was interesting, wasn't it? Your changing career when you started to teach. Yeah, it was. And like many people um, I've come across in teaching um, who went the skit based route, which I did, um, did something else first. So I didn't go back to university and do the full course, but uh, did a skit based placement. Um, so originally, when I first finished university, I did in fact, applied to do a PGCE. Um, and it was a secondary PGCE for, I think it was for psychology and the social sciences. Um, and I was offered a place and then didn't take it up um, for a couple of reasons. But in the end, I ended up doing what many people do is going into a graduate sales scheme. So I ended up doing that for a short time. Um, and then I moved on and I went into retail banking again a little bit longer but not too long um but to be honest neither job was for me you know there were good sides to them both mm. um but they were terribly dull really and it didn't take long before I kind of felt that there was no real purpose or, or merit behind what I was doing you know I'd come in each day I'd do what I needed to do I went home but fundamentally it was making money for other people you know, it may pay well, but it wasn't, didn't really have any impact on anything. It didn't feel like I was making any sort of difference to anything. Um, so it was at that point I thought, you know what, I want to do something different. Um, I'm going to go abroad to teach. And I made the threat to my parents a few times that I'm going to go abroad to teach and nobody listened. Nobody took me seriously, um, which meant I had to do it, of course. Of course. So, yes. So I looked at a few different places, uh, predominantly in Asia, and ended up going to Korea uh, to teach. Oh, wow. That's how my journey started. 
was that an amazing experience? It was, yes. Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. I was there um, with my girlfriend, or then girlfriend, now wife. Um, we went together. We were there for two and a half years, which was fantastic. Uh, had some remarkable experiences. Huge, huge excitement going there. Lots of adventures. Um, but I would say it's one of the best things I ever did. You know, I've always said to teachers, if you've had a few years under your belt in this country and you're interested in teaching abroad, uh, do it while you're young, while you can, because it's a phenomenal experience. And, and I think if you were working in the education system proper um, and you knew a little bit more about teaching than I did at the time, because I knew nothing really. Right. Um, but you could take so much away from it. Um, so I'd heartily recommend it to anybody. Yeah, excellent. Now, I remember when I became a teacher after being a computer programmer, and at one of the interviews for a primary PGCE course, they asked me why I wasn't going into secondary teaching, as I had a science degree. And uh, and I said to them, well, I love primary teaching, because in what other job can you do all your hobbies whilst inspiring children <laughs> to learn? What dragged you then or encouraged you mm. into being a primary teacher? Um, but when I went to South Korea, I taught a mix of ages. Uh, the youngest I taught were five, four or five. The eldest were 15, 16. Uh, but I found it was just, it was so fun to teach the younger children and to see the fun that they could have through learning compared to those older children. Just really opened my eyes to what teaching could be and, and how much enjoyment you could get from seeing children's kind of... Um, minds be opened up to different things so yeah so like I say it was teaching those younger children and seeing how much they could change how much they grew in such a short amount of time and seeing kind of them become open to learning and so excited about it uh, it kind of made me think you know what I do want to teach I want to keep doing this when I go home but I want to do it with those younger children now because that excitement was so so palpable and it really affected me mm. Well, and, and, and that, of course, is what all great teachers feel, isn't it? They just feel the thrill of learning alongside young people. That never goes away, does it? So you've done your training. Mm. It's day one of your new career. of and, and, you know, you've got plenty to compare with day ones of new careers, as you've had a few. So what's going through your head on this particular day? I think the first thing that was in my mind on the first day. Um, well, there was nothing in my mind, I don't think. At that point, <laughs> when you were just about to start, um, it's so incredibly difficult. I do remember just that 15 minutes before the children come in and just blindly thinking, well, what do I do? What do I do when the children come in? How do I speak to them? What if I don't remember any of their names? How do I manage a class? How does the register work? Um, because it's it's completely different to any other job I'd done, because with any other job I'd done, it was working with adults, um, with adults very close alongside you, that, you know, if something went wrong, it'd be very quick to fix it, and it wouldn't really cause many problems. If I forgot what I was doing with 30 children, who knows what could have happened? Yeah. Um, but it's all those sorts of things, and really running through well, what time is assembly, what time is break time. What do I need to teach them? What do I have to get done? What do I need to remember? Um, so, yes, I absolutely remember just before all the children coming in, just that moment of, of blindness and just thinking, I don't know quite what I've let myself in for. 
Um, and I would say as well that I don't think that completely goes no matter how long you've been teaching. No. Because I think that six weeks, I mean, it's not really a six week holiday. Anyone who's teaching will tell you. But that big gap through the summer um, is, is huge. And, you know, it's bad enough when you've been teaching for five, six, 20 years, let alone when it's your first time teaching mm. and you've only been a student and you haven't done this year after year after year. Um, and you're not set into the routines of the things that, that really matter and the things that if you make a bit of a mess of it, don't matter quite so much. No. Um, so, yeah, I do remember having lots of lists at the ready just in case, lots of times written down. And, and I think that really resonates with me, what you said about the first day of a new job, because when I was computer programming, exactly the same thing. There's someone there to say, you need to do this now, you need to do that now. And, uh, and in teaching, you are on your own, aren't you? And, and like you say, it's not you're not thinking about one thing at a time. If you're lucky, you're thinking about 30 things at a time because you've got 30 children. But actually, of course, you've got 40 things at a time because you're looking at the time and you're thinking, am I going to get all this learning done? And oh, I wonder, and as you said, we've got this long. Shall I intervene now or shall I let them keep working? Or shall I, because if I don't stop them now, how? what are we going to do for break time? And then we'll never wrap the lesson up. And and it's it's massively complex, isn't it? Yeah, it's really, really challenging. And I think it takes a long time to get your head around the, 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 the tiredness of the job, what it puts into you, what it takes out of you each day. Mm. Because it's like you say, it's not those few decisions. It's those hundreds and hundreds of micro decisions that are going on every single morning. You know, which child are you going to go to? Where are you going to walk to in the classroom? When do you need to stop everybody? Mm. Where are you going to stand to look and see who's on task? Perhaps who needs a reminder? Do they need a reminder with a tap on the shoulder? Will I look? There's so many things. It's so all encompassing. And I don't think you can be ready for how draining that can be. Mm until you've done it and until you sit back and think about it i don't think you really realize quite how many decisions you make in the day and compared yeah. to one of those previous jobs that i mentioned that i've done you know where i was working in it sales um, and it was um it training sales and you think okay well what decisions do i need to make well i phone somebody up and they might be polite or they might be rude um, or they might be ambivalent. And then depending on which one of those three things, I will go down a certain avenue. Yeah. So really, I've, got, I've kind of got three choices and I'm just talking to an adult. Who knows what a child's going to say back to you at any one stage? Who knows when the hand's going to go up and you'll get something that it was completely unexpected and you've got no idea where it's come from. Um, so it's, it's so much more unpredictable um, yeah. and that makes it so draining as well. You've described that perfectly those hundreds of micro decisions because you never have any downtime do you in the classroom in all the other jobs I've done you have endless downtime you choose when the downtime is you don't get any choice in the classroom because because there's always someone who wants something from you or there's always someone you think I need to give them something mm. and uh, to move them on in their learning or to support them in some way so Crikey, we've made, now made it sound like impossible. It's not, folks, because we both love it, as many other teachers do. So let's think about that first year. And as I say, it's not all that long ago for you, is it? No. What can you remember about how you developed as a teacher and what helped you become more and more effective as each day passed? 
so particularly in that first year, which I think is, is like you say, not that long ago, but it feels it now. Um, as another thing to say for teaching um, is a few things helped over time. I think one of the, the things that had a really big impact on me early in my teaching career and early in that first year was having somebody come and observe me, which is always a very worrying experience. OK, and it's it's something you've got to get used to in teaching because it will happen in different contexts. Um, but I think increasingly in the profession, it's much more supportive than perhaps it, it might have been a long time ago. People are looking for good practice and sharing good practice and so on. Um, but anybody, somebody was um, observing me teaching writing and I was very unsure and I went with kind of my passion for it. And I really went, not over the top, but writing is my passion. It's something I really enjoy. And that really shone through. And I said to the children, I said, you know what, children, I've been so excited to teach this lesson because there's one thing I like more than writing myself. And that's teaching children how to write stories. And there was this excitement in the classroom and it was absolutely wonderful. And the, the person who was observing me came back and saw me later that day. And they said, James, that was brilliant. I just enjoyed it so much because at that point I could have left the room um, and known it was going to go really, really well because every single child, they were excited. They wanted to do it. Mm. And I think that was something that I think really helped with my development as a teacher um, because it was about imbuing that passion into the children. Yeah. And actually as a teacher, we've all got our own backgrounds. We've all got our own interests. And if you can harness that, and share that with the children. You know, you've got to teach everything in primary. You know, you're not just teaching English, you're just teaching the thing you're passionate about. But if you can really dig in and find the things that make you tick and the areas of the curriculum that you love and you find interesting and get the children that excited about it, the learning's so much easier because they want to do it because they feel their excitement. And I think in my first year, that was a huge, huge step um, in my own development and understanding that it was okay to do that. Um, because I feel like when I trained, you know, I had a very strong mentor, very strong, but very different to me. Yeah. And you, you try to imitate and you try to take things that you see uh, as a student and as an NQT, because you think, well, those are the things that work. I've seen those things working. That's not necessarily the best way things are going to work for you. Uh, and it took me a little bit of time to figure that out, I think. I think um, so. You, and it, you make a really good point there. You have to learn from others, but you have to build it into your own teaching structure, don't you? This is what I'm like as a teacher. And it's really useful seeing these other 20 great teachers, but I'm not them. I'm me. And I'm going to pinch the bits, but then I'm going to mold them into my framework. It's not going to be your framework. Yeah, that's absolutely it. It is about finding what is really good practice, seeing what other people do, but then understanding why it's good and what impact it has. And because if you understand those two things and not just the actual thing itself, if you understand what makes it so good, the why behind it and then what impact that has, you can tweak it. You can make it work for you, like you say, within that framework of your own teaching mm. to make sure you can still have that same impact, even if you can't do exactly what your mentor was doing, because we're all different. Yeah. And we, who wants to be the same as someone else? No, absolutely. You want to be unique, don't you, as a teacher, because then you will be giving your children unique things. Mm. And you think in a primary school, if they have seven unique teachers, 
wow, what a what a wonderful experience that yeah. that's going to be for the children if they have seven unique good teachers. And that's it. And if every one of those teachers can bring their own passion to the table, you know, whether that be English and writing or science or music, um, think of the richness that brings to every child mm. in that class. Every child would have had a teacher who's excited, you know, enthralled by a subject that wants to inspire. And you couldn't ask for much more as a parent that your child went through a school with those kinds of teachers. No, you'd, you'd be immensely happy, wouldn't you? Because mm. all you want is your child to be inspired, don't you? To be excited by not everything you do in school, because that's not possible, but mm. to be excited by some of the things and to be really inspired some of the time. And yes, to have some times when you say, oh, we had to do graphs today. It was so boring. But um because that's part of life too, isn't it? And, and doing your best when you're not inspired is a very important thing to learn too. Mm. Now you've got you've got a multitude of great memories, obviously, and and blimey, it's just so exciting listening to you, James, talk about it because we can feel your passion mm. through the through the airwaves. <laughs> but but does anything really stand out for you in that first year or in your first years? Uh, any particular good memories, Jeremy? Yeah. What was what yeah. was great? What was your greatest? My greatest moments in that year. Well, I think um, <laughs> there are so many, like you say, I think in that first year or two, because it's so intense in so many ways, you do remember a lot of it. Um, I remember one of my favourite memories is a girl that I taught. Um, and actually it was, it wasn't in my first year, it was in my second year. So not long after. And she wrote a story and gave it to me as a, as a leaving present. I was leaving the school. Oh, how lovely. She knew that. And she knew that the thing I cared about, the thing I was passionate about was writing stories, reading stories, sharing stories with the children. So she wrote a story uh, and gave it to me and brought it in and said, Mr. Troughton, I want to be an author when I grow up. And I just thought, wow. That's brilliant. Whether you wanted to be an author before you met me, I don't know. And I don't mind. Um, but the fact that you, you're t you've told me that, the fact that you've written a story is a gift for me. The fact that you've clearly taken on board and been so inspired by what we've been trying to do that year um, just meant so much. And it was different. It wasn't a, you're the best teacher in the world, Mark. <laughs> Uh, which many of us have one or two of. And if you don't, which you may not in your first year or two, I'm sure you'll get some at some stage because everybody has one. I thought I was very special the first time I got one. It turned out you could get them in the supermarket. Um, I think that <laughs> no, was No, you were thing. special though, because you might get them in the supermarket, but that was given with love. Yeah. Children, yeah, they yeah, give absolutely. you things when they respect you, don't they? And when they, when they appreciate what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, that's the big one that stood out to me. And the, the big thing that um, I was going through some things the other day and I, and I came across it again and I just thought, wow, what a fantastic. No, absolutely. Fantastic that's made me tingle um, just hearing that because it reminds me of things that have happened with classes I've taught and where, mm -hmm. where children give you things and it's not necessarily a posh present wrapped up nicely by the uh, the caring parents but it's someone who's done something right from their heart to you. And, and that feels wonderful, doesn't it, as a teacher? Because you know you've touched that child uh, emotionally and spiritually. And, uh, and, and, and this is true for you, isn't it? You are an author. 
that was something <laughs> I knew I found out about you quite recently. Yeah. So, so what's what's this? What sort of stories do you write? So I write. I mean, I've not done this much recently, but I write. What you haven't got time? You're not telling me you haven't got time as a teacher not to dedicate (laughs) hours a day to writing. No, with the teaching side, I could still manage it. I could still manage some story writing, and in fact, it was in my second year I first um, got a few things published. Um, Wow! So the type of things I write, uh, I write short stories. I've only written short stories, um, but fantasy short stories, Um, not your J.R.R. Tolkien. Middle Earth elves and dwarves <laughs> hype fantasy stories. I can't really, I don't really like that. I don't have much love for that kind of um, bucolic fantasy that's all pastoral fields and things like that. It was yeah, more, me neither, actually. No, but I, I do like, I've got a real interest in the unreal and the kind of the uncanny and that side, the, the darker side of fantasy, twisted fairy tales and things like that. So I was writing alongside when I was first teaching and I've had a few short stories published uh, and put into podcast format and, and things like that. Um, and I was very fortunate that, in fact, the first thing I had published, no, the second thing, the second thing I had published um, was in an anthology with a number of very, very well-regarded fantasy authors. Teaching, I could just about manage it with. Since I had children as well, it's become something that's been a little bit on the back burner for the last three, four years. Um, but... I intend to return to it as soon as I met. Well, as soon as we get past the very young child stage, that That's bit it. is a little bit all-encompassing. You'll have to give us the links to your uh, podcast and stories so we can put it on the uh, on the podcast information so people can can read what you've uh, what read yeah. what you've written. Yeah, I will do. And in fact, there's one little bit of advice that I I came across from Neil Gaiman fairly recently, um, and it's a really famous bit of advice for writers, and it applies. For teaching, I've not really thought of this till now, um, but it applies to teaching really, really well, because what it is, is you must write, but you must finish what you write. Mm. And I think that's absolutely crucial as an NQT or an early career teacher that, yes, you must plan and yes, you must do these things, but you must find a point to finish. Mm. You can't because there's always more to do. Uh, And particularly when you're very early in your career, these things do take a long time because you're getting mm. your head around it and there's so much to think about. But you do need to be able to, to finish and go, that's enough. That lesson is done. Because you yeah. could always tweak it. You could always improve it, that percent. But actually, you need to not do that sometimes. You need to, I need that rest. I need to be ready. No, you do. And 80% is good enough, isn't it? Mm. That's, that's what. Now, I don't know if that's your one bit of advice you wish you knew as an NQT, but if it isn't, have you got one piece of advice? Because that bit of advice you've just given us is brilliant. Yeah. But, um, but is there anything else you want to say to us about the one thing you wish you knew as an NQT? I think the big thing, um, it's not that piece of advice, though I think that is absolutely critical and is perhaps actually better than the piece of advice that I had, I had come up with, um, <laughs> is that there's more than one way to be a great teacher. Mm. And and I didn't understand that when I trained, I don't think. Um, you don't have to be your mentor, which I touched upon earlier. I, said, I was very, very lucky with the school that I trained at and the mentors that I had, both as a trainee and as an NQT, both mentors were very, very strong. Um, different to each other, but had a lot of similarities too. Um, but it, it took me a little 
time, like I touched upon earlier, to understand that I didn't have to be them. I didn't have to do it the same way as them. Yes, there were things that I had to do the same because school policy is what it is and you need to make sure mm. you're doing the right things for the education of, of the child. And sometimes those aren't always the things that you think um, would be the best fit or the thing that comes easiest to you. You need to look at the bigger picture and understand that these things are in reason for a play, uh, in place for a reason, sorry. Um, but you're not them. And like we, we talked about earlier, yes, you should take their practice, look for what really, really works, look for the really good strategies, but you've got to grow as a teacher yourself and find your own framework of what works really, really well. And see as many teachers as you can in your first couple of years of teaching because you will always glean something whether the lesson is brilliant or whether it's perhaps not so brilliant maybe something goes wrong in fact that might be a really good place to learn because you can see how the teacher deals with it um yes. because every teacher's had lessons that have gone a little bit sideways at various times um so yeah i think that's my, my big bit of advice you're not your mentor don't try to be your mentor Take bits of practice from them and just try to see as many different teachers as you can and see what works. Because only by seeing different teachers, you can see that there's loads of ways to be a brilliant teacher. Mm. You don't have to just copy the person you've been following around for the last year or so. Yeah, James, that's such good advice. And that's such a good place for us to end today's podcast. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed talking to you. We both know how tough a job teaching can be, but we've both worked outside education and know that for every difficult moment in teaching, there will be so many times when being a teacher makes all the struggle worthwhile. And you have illustrated that in so many ways today. Now, I've got, I've got a quote for you, an author's quote. The author, Dan Pointer, who once said, each step you take reveals a new horizon. You have taken the first step today now I challenge you to take another. As an author yourself, James, I know you will agree with that. And as teachers, we both know the path to becoming a great teacher is one step at a time. So what now, listeners? What's the one small thing that you will do tomorrow that will make a difference to your teaching and a difference to the success of your pupils? Remember, one step at a time is the path to excellence. And finally, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And if you feel inspired, please leave a review and share it with your friends. I love getting feedback and I'm very keen to know what you'd like us to discuss in future podcasts and how we can improve what we are doing. And we'll keep you updated on what's to come and more on Twitter at WhatNQT. I look forward to being with you next time for another fascinating educational chat. And today, James, has certainly been that. But until then, I'm Jeremy Crook, and this has been the latest podcast from What I Wish I Knew as an NQT.